Oh, well, Christmas is, is coming fast, and our preparations for it are, are certainly in, in high gear if, if they haven't been uh, completed already. And uh, thinking about the, this season and, and all that it represents, thinking about a very, very pregnant Mary uh, making her way uh, to, to Bethlehem, and, and just uh, just kind of got to thinking, I wonder just in the room in this, in this moment, uh, how many of you have kind of in your family, in your extended family, whether yourself, I mean, I don't want you to give away a secret or anything, but uh, whether yourself or, or your nieces, nephews, or uh, grandparents, whatever it may be, that, that, that somebody is expecting right now, expecting a child. Okay, wow, several of you. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So, so yeah, some folks that are very much in that kind of like, okay, we there is that expectation. You know, what I didn't realize before we had kids is that how much uh, trauma uh, there and drama sometimes there is around figuring out a name for your child, right? I mean, this this is this is like big doings, right? And and there's a whole host of unwritten rules that we don't always know about uh, when we first enter into that. Kind of like if if it's the name of somebody you or your spouse dated seriously in the past, right? Those names are off limits now. We can't can't name them any of those or Maybe if if uh, you or your spouse that you have this association, maybe it's somebody that you knew growing up, or you had a certain association with that person. It's like, okay, we can't use that name either, right? And I didn't even realize it, but for those of you in the education world. I've come to understand that for teachers, it's even more complex because if they've been teaching for a few years, they have this whole catalog of names of children that they have interacted with through the years, and some of them haven't been the most pleasant of interactions, and so all of those names are now off the list, right? You, you get rid of all of these along the way. And then... Then you have to take into account how does the first and the last name work together, right? Because that can begin to limit your pool. Uh, Our daughter married uh, an individual, uh, their last name is Mann, M-A-N-N. So a couple of years ago when they were expecting their first child, had a, had a reveal, gender reveal party, you know, all the things you, you have to do now, right? And one of the activities at this gender reveal party is you put like names in a hat or something, some potential names of, of this uh, child, whether it's going to be a boy or a girl. And one wise guy put in Yuda. Uh, you the man would have been his <laughs> name, right? Uh, not bad, not bad. Actually heard of another man family, same last name spelling, M-A-N-N. Uh, they, they, they were going to have a girl, and they, they, they really liked the name Anita until they started saying it out loud. I need a man. I need a man. And they thought, that might not work well when she gets to be a teenager and a young adult as she goes around introducing herself. I need a man. All right? And there's, there's just some, there's some hilarious combinations that have been there. And I hesitate to do this because I'm going to say somebody's name probably. But uh, one, one individual was named Eileen Wright. Eileen Wright, uh, which doesn't really work for your progressive friends, uh, I guess. Uh, Lois Price. Lois Price was, was her name. Uh, that uh, Lois Price. Uh, uh, and then a young lady by the name of Helen, and as she grew up, she uh, married a man by the name of Back. So her name was Helen Back. And, and her husband said that's kind of described their marriage. <laughs> Okay, the other illustrations I got are much worse than that one, so we'll, we'll, 
<laughs> we'll stop right there, right? 700 years uh, before this babe appeared in Bethlehem, through the prophet Isaiah, God had inspired uh, this list of names, if you will. These names that were important, these names that were descriptors of who this child was going to be. We've been looking at it in this series of messages, Isaiah 9, 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In the past couple of weeks, we've looked at uh, the name Wonderful Counselor, someone to guide me. Last week, we looked at, at Mighty God, someone to, to rescue me. And this morning, we want to look at that third name, which in many ways is, is the name that maybe gives us the pause the most, Everlasting Father. Because we think, wait, 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 wait a minute. Isn't like Jesus the Son, and now you're calling him everlasting father? I mean, was Isaiah like confused about the Trinity here or, or didn't really understand? I think there's a whole lot more uh, to it uh, than that. And we have some clues even to how the New Testament talks uh, about uh, Jesus. Paul wrote about Jesus with these words to the Philippians, who being Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He was being in the very nature God. To the Colossians, Paul would write, for in Christ, all, not just part, all the fullness of deity lives in bodily form. And Jesus himself put it about as straightforwardly as you can. I and the Father are one. So when we come to this name, Everlasting Father, it says several things to us. It says that, that Jesus is fully God, that it, it wasn't talking about his, his role in the, in the, the Godhead. It was, it was talking more about the fact that he was indeed fully God. But it also reminds us that in Jesus, we have a revelation of his character. We have a revelation of the character of God, his fatherliness toward us us. And that if you want to understand the God as Father, you look to how that was lived out in the life of Jesus. We have an everlasting Father who provides for us. And I wanted to just take a few moments uh, this morning as we're gathered in worship to just think about that provision to think about the, the things that Jesus provides for us as our everlasting Father. And the list could be super long, but for our, our purposes this morning, let me just uh, have us reflect on five things. Five things that Jesus provides for us as our everlasting Father. And at the most basic level, He provides for our needs. He provides for our 
needs. And we see that even from the very first book of the Bible, the, the book of Genesis. We, we, we find this identification of, of God being the one who provides. You may remember the scene in Genesis uh, chapter 22, if you've read that before, where, where Abraham is, is going to offer his son Isaac on the altar, and then there's going to be a substitute, a replacement that God provides. And it's a picture, even there in the book of Genesis, of what God is purposing to do in sending Jesus Christ. And in that context, Abraham learns of a heavenly father who provides. Abraham looked up, and there in a thicket, he saw a ram caught by its horns, and he went over and took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. That he is the, the one who provides for our needs. Paul encouraged the Philippians, and my God will meet all your needs. Not necessarily every one of our greeds, but all of your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus, that he is the one who provides for our needs. And not only just like barely scraping by, but, but he, is, he is generous and, and oftentimes provides in abundance. Command those who are rich in this present world. And if you're in a position like we're in a position that you're giving Christmas gifts and that sort of thing, we're rich, right? We're rich in, in the scope of the world. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. See stock market performance lately, right? But to put their hope in God, who richly, look at that, richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. It is a God who meets needs and in grace and mercy and abundance, even at times provides just things for us to flat out enjoy. Here's the truth that I just want you to, to, to re-get re a grip on this morning. God can handle any problem you can give him. Whatever your need, whatever the situation, whatever the circumstance, whatever the challenge, whatever the opportunity, we have a God who as our everlasting Father can provide for our needs. And He does that in a wide variety of ways. Sometimes He involves other people in helping to meet our needs. The body of Christ, just, just a part of His common grace, just we experience the, the, the blessing of other people who have skills and talents and abilities that, that maybe we don't have and and that, that's one way that God provides for our needs sometimes he even involves us uh, we're giving us the capacity for work and thinking and evaluation and 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 being active in, in our own agency there uh, to be a part of that provision for our needs uh, Jesus uh, gave us that that picture of of a father who cared enough uh, that he, he 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 said why are you worried he said your heavenly father provides even for the birds of the air and someone wisely said, he does. But that doesn't mean he like throws the worm in the nest, right? <laughs> I mean, sometimes you still got to go out and get it. And that's, that's part of even the way that God uh, chooses to provide for us, that work is, is one of the integral ways. It was part of the fabric of, of creation. But God, as our everlasting Father, provides for our needs. And maybe you're here this season and you've got a lot going on. Or maybe you're just smack dab in the middle of a whirlwind or a problem. 
And I just want to remind you that you have a father. You have a heavenly father who wants to provide for your needs. But not only does he provide for our needs, but the, the, the scripture reminds us that he is a God who provides for us unconditional love. And this is huge. Unconditional love. Jeremiah uh, foretold it uh, long before Jesus came in Bethlehem. The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have drawn you with loving kindness. That we have this, this everlasting Father who has fixed His love upon us. And it doesn't depend upon my performance of the day. It doesn't uh, depend upon whether I'm particularly likable or not. But He has fixed an everlasting love. And in that love, He draws us to Himself. John, who was called the, the beloved apostle, uh, wrote, In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That he was the one, propitiation, he is the one who absorbed the wrath of God, the righteous, right, just judgment of God against sin. And he took that upon himself. God provided that for us because of his love an unconditional love toward us. Paul, who came to understand that it wasn't about his performance, but it was about God's grace and God's mercy and God's unconditional love fixed upon him, would later write in in kind of stirring terms to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Now, now, I I am staying there in a moment because this is what I have come to understand. For too many of us, our greatest problem is that we don't realize how much God loves us. And and I know maybe some of you are pushing back and saying, well, you know, some folks just don't realize some other things, da-da-da-da-da-da. But I, I think for many of us, we don't really fully comprehend because we think, I know what I've done. I know I've disappointed myself and I've disappointed others. And maybe there's a part of us that, okay, God forgives, but I don't know if I'm loved. But when we really allow the love of God to grip our hearts, it begins to transform us from the inside out. Now, here's what I know. When you start using any language, people come with some baggage. (laughs) We come with filters uh, that, that that word may hold for us. And when you start talking about father, we have baggage. Some of us have some filters that are maybe pretty healthy because we were blessed with maybe a pretty good father. 
And none of us as fathers is perfect. That's, that's, that's the beginning point for sure. But you would look back and you would say, father is, kind of has a positive association in my mind because I had a pretty good father, a great father. <laughs> Maybe for some of you, you would say, oh, the filter that I have to work through when I hear father is a father who was abusive, a father who was addicted, maybe a father who was absent. I don't even, maybe for some of you don't even know who he was. Or maybe for some of you, you get a father who was kind of in that mold of, of you know, I work and I, I kind of like provide for material needs, but but there was kind of a disconnect, kind of a, emotionally. There was some absence there, even though there was physical presence. And I, I know we all have that filter. And we bring that to God when we hear the word Father. I have some friends who are, who are coaches, and some of them on a, on a collegiate level, and and you know, one of the things they have discovered through the years is that there's, there's a lot of the athletes that they're dealing with that father is, some of them have come from some great homes, please don't misunderstand, but some of them, some of them have some holes. Some of them, they are almost starving for a positive male influence in their life. And just honestly thank God for some some Christian men and women who are who God's called to coach, and and many of them are investing in 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 some some young lives in very powerful and positive ways. But for some of us, maybe maybe for you, it's a challenge to to really accept that God loves you with an unconditional love, because of everything in your life you feel like it's been based on your performance. Or maybe you feel like you're not good enough or you haven't measured up. And in our sin, we're not good enough. That's what makes his love unconditional toward us. And so in Jesus Christ, we're reminded that we have an everlasting Father who provides for us unconditional love on my best day, on my worst day. When maybe I feel like I deserve it and one of those days I know I don't. He provides me with that love. But he also provides us with protection. He provides us with protection. Psalm 121 says, The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. That there is this, this watch care over us. Isaiah 41 puts it this way. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. That, that he is, is the one who, who holds us. Now, as some of you may be thinking, wait a minute, wait a minute, Jeff. I, I, wait, whoa, whoa, you're talking about protection, but there's some bad things that happen. There's some bad things that happen to good people. People who are trusting in God. What about that protection? Well, I don't pretend to know why 
God allows us to experience different things along the way. And there are sometimes some horrific things that happen to us. I know it's part of living in a world that has been so damaged and so distorted by sin. It's been very interesting because you prepare a message and then God sends things along your way. But had a couple of conversations uh, this week. And what stood out of those two conversations I'm thinking of is that both of them were talking about some, some just challenging times they were going through. But they both used the same terminology, and they both actually held out their hand just like that. And they said, you know, it, it's been hard. But I've had that sense that I've been in God's hand the entire way. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. The Heavenly Father protects us doesn't mean that we don't ever experience challenges in life. But it means we never experience them alone. But I'll tell you, I am still absolutely convinced that I'm never going to know this side of eternity all the things that God's protected me from. All the things that God has shielded me from, so many of them that I've probably been absolutely blind to. I remember a story, I first read it uh, several years ago, uh, that Ruth uh, uh, Graham told it, uh, the, the wife of, of Billy Graham, father to Franklin. And she related a story uh, that, that came from Mississippi. Uh, it was a man by the name of Slim Cornette. And uh, Slim was at a church in uh, rural Mississippi. And I had, had a person in that church who, who wanted to take him out and show him this, this little old airport they had there, just in the middle of, of rural Mississippi. And they went out, and it was, it was out, and it was just pitch dark. And, and, and he said, I want to, I want to show you this. And he, said, and, he, and he flipped some lights on, and, and these runway lights come on right there, kind of seemingly in the middle of nowhere. And, and he says, you know, if we, we heard there was a plane in distress or something, we would flip this other switch and he flipped the switch and this, this searchlight kind of came off to say it would kind of kind of be a, a beacon to call folks here. And, and as he's explaining this to Slim, all of a sudden out of the dark Mississippi sky, this plane descends and lands on the runway. And they're just like... And, and they watch. And a younger Franklin Graham, son of Billy and Ruth Graham, comes out of the steps and then they heard the rest of the story, that the pilot was flying Franklin to back to school in Texas, and as they were flying, all the, electri all the electrical things went out in the plane. So no guidance, no lights, no radio, no nothing. And said, so as they're flying in this pitch black, not exactly sure where they're at, all of a sudden they see this searchlight. <laughs> And this landing strip lit up. And they come in for a landing. And Ruth Graham writes about that. She said, before they left to go back to school, that Billy had paused and prayed, prayed for their travels and prayed for God to protect them along the way. Now, I know sometimes bad things happen to good people. But that doesn't stop us from calling out the protecting hand of our Father. I, I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, when I was real, a lot younger, I didn't think about it, you know. Of course, some of us grew up not wearing seat belts, so what the heck did we know, right? But, uh, uh, but you know what, now I, I, I pray. 
I pray for members of my family, pray for myself that are traveling, whether it's in a plane or a long car trip or, or whatever it might be. I just pray for God's hand of protection uh, to be on them and over them along the way. Because I know that we have an everlasting Father who provides protection along the way. But not only does this Father provide protection, but he gives to us discipline. <laughs> and this maybe is not always the most welcome thing that our Father provides, but it is at times the most important thing. The author of Hebrews puts it this way, and have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. That integral as a part of this father-child relationship is the father loves you enough to intervene. The father loves you enough to discipline along the way. The very last book in the Bible, the book of Revelation says, those whom I love, I rebuke and discipline. So be earnest and repent. To understand that part of what God provides for us, what we need is a disciplining hand of God. Now, please understand a very important distinction. We have an enemy who condemns us so that we'll give up. But God, the everlasting Father, corrects us so that we'll grow up. When God brings conviction to bear, it's not to beat us up, but to build us up. It's to direct us. It's to help us to, to, to grow into the, the, the fullness of, of who he has designed us to be. And, and when I begin to understand that, I begin responding to God's loving discipline with repentance. A, a change of mind that leads to a change of direction. I love the way that Bruce Wilkinson uh, talks about repentance. He said, repentance is turning away from sin that ails you to the bounty that God promises you. Now, now that's a huge difference because for some of us, we hear repentance and we think negative because we think sometimes condemnation, but there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It's not he's condemning us so that we'll give up, but he is correcting us so that we'll grow up. And so if we begin to understand when God disciplines, it's, it's to Turn us away from something that ails us. Turn us away from something that, that destroys, something that distorts, something that brings disappointment into our life. And he's calling us to call return to the, the bounty that God promises, to being the man or the woman that God created us to be, to fulfill the purposes that he has designed for our lives. And if we begin to understand that, then we don't resent the discipline of God, but we begin to accept it and respond to it with repentance. When we understand what repentance really is, we understand it's not something to avoid with shame, but it's something to embrace with gratitude. I have a father who loves me enough to discipline me, who loves me enough to call me to turn away from the sin that ails me to the bounty that he has promised me. And some of you work in the school systems. Some of you work with families. Some of you know what it looks like for a child to come from a home where there is not loving discipline. And those seeds reap a harvest. And schools and businesses and judicial systems and society 
pays for that. You have a, lo a loving Heavenly Father who loves you enough to correct you, to invite you to turn away from what ails you and turn to the bounty that He has promised you. Our Heavenly Father provides for our needs. He provides unconditional love. He provides protection. He provides discipline. But one last thing we'll just look at this morning. He provides for us security. A security. That we are secure in Him. And that, that begins certainly with that sense of, of being eternally secure in Him. Jesus said, I give them eternal life. And they shall never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one, no one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. That there is this, this security that if I am truly and genuinely in Jesus Christ, that, that nobody and nothing is going to take me out of the Father's hands, that I have this security in His love, security in His strength, security in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Through the years that folks have gone through challenges and trials, they found comfort in the Psalms. And one of the Psalms that has, has ministered to so many has been the 121st Psalm. I will lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. And indeed, he who watches over Israel neither slumbers nor sleeps. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day nor the noon moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. There is a security to know that I live every single day of my life under the watch care of God. That nothing can separate me from his love. Nothing can separate me from his, his watch care over me. Yes, there's challenges. Yes, there's issues. Yes, there's very real danger in a sin-scarred world. But I have a God who watches over me. A God who is constantly at work. A.W. Tozer said, whatever he allows into my life, he, he, he allows, I'm paraphrasing him, he allows uh, so that it will help conform me to the image of his son, Jesus Christ. And when I understand that, it, it lowers the anxiety level. It lowers the worry in my life. I have a security knowing that I have that kind of God. When Susan and I, uh, one of our practice at, at, at night, we, we try to close the day uh, and we, we share what we call three gratefuls, just Three things that you're grateful for today. And sometimes there's like big major things, you know, sometimes it's just really simple things, but just three things right off the top of your head that you're grateful for. And then we usually just get, kind of share a devotional reading together, and then we pray. And because uh, sometimes the very last thing before going off to sleep, uh, sometimes this words of this psalm sometimes weave their ways into that prayer. God, thank you that we're going to sleep tonight because we know that you don't sleep. <laughs> And God, we can rest tonight because you're the one who's watching over us. And you know, I've become convinced that sleep is a daily reminder that he's God and I'm not. The world keeps going whether I'm awake or I'm asleep because he's watching over. 
I, 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 and I'm not saying I haven't had some sleepless nights and, and wrestled with some things. I have. But, but I tell you what, it, 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 gives you, it gives you a sweeter sleep when you're resting secure in him. When you know that, that he is the one who is watching over. I have a security in Jesus Christ. So because Jesus Christ is this everlasting father, because he provides all of these things for me, there are just four things that I just want to remind you that, that we get to do. I, because he's my everlasting father, I am loved by him. Every single day, regardless of my performance, I am loved by him, and I can rest secure in his love. I can count on him because he is the one who is watching over me. He is the one who is orchestrating events around me. He is the one that will protect me and I can call on him that I, I can call upon him because he is my everlasting father I don't know about you but as, as we walk through some medical things sometimes it's, it's, it's kind of interesting and I realize busy and schedules and rooms availability and stuff but sometimes it's like you know, you're calling for a medical thing and it's like well, we, the first available appointment is like two or three months from now it's like really? <laughs> really? that's the next one? <laughs> You know, we'll let you know if somebody cancels or something. I'm just so grateful that I have a heavenly father who doesn't say, call me in two months. I'll make room for you in a couple months. But I can call on him anytime, anyplace, anywhere because I'm his child in Jesus Christ. I can call on him and I can live for him. I can live for him because he, he, he has accepted me. He's forgiven me. He indwells me with his spirit. He's at work in me and he's at work all around me. He has purposes and plans for my life and your life. And there are things that he uniquely wants to do in us and through us. And I have the capacity in Jesus Christ to live a life that honors him. And I don't do it perfectly, but he is still at work in my life. And I can live for him because I have an everlasting father. Old preacher by the name of Ethel Estel Taylor. And Estel told a story that's just so powerful in its imagery. He talked about growing up, and this was many years ago, when homes were primarily heated by old wood burning stove that sometimes was in the kitchen area, served also as a cooking surface. And he said he had gotten for Christmas a brand new pair of roller skates, right? And I don't know, some of you may have been like super roller skaters the first time you put on a pair. When I went roller skating, they wanted to hire me for, as a mop because I just like covered every inch of the, the floor, right? Well, like most kids, Estel, Estel wasn't real good on those roller skates. And he was doing probably what he shouldn't have been doing. He put them on in the house and was trying to kind of buzz through. And he came into the kitchen area. And it was evident that he was out of control. And his body was started to tilt and his, his face was headed right toward that wood-burning stove. And just the last moment, his dad thrust his hand, grabbed his face, and the momentum of, of the child carried that hand right into the wood stove. And instantly the smell of burning flesh began to fill the room. But he had saved his son. Estel said for the rest of his life, his dad had this huge scar on this one hand. And sometimes his friends would be 
scared of that scar. Sometimes they would even want to make fun of that scar that his dad had. But Estel said, I was never ashamed of that scar. Because every time I looked at that, I knew that I had a father who loved me. A father who would protect me. So the years went by and Estel's father died. And the funeral home folks were doing their work and they put his body in the casket and you know how you lay the hand sometimes over and said they, they took his hand and they, they took the hand that didn't have the scar and put it over top of the one that did for the viewing. And the family saw that beforehand. Estel said, no, 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 no. Uh-uh. You reverse that. I want everybody to see that scar because that scar is a testimony of my father's love. Someday, someday, followers of Jesus Christ are going to see Jesus, the everlasting father. And when you see him, he's going to have a scar on his hand because that's what a cross does. You won't be ashamed of it. You won't have to turn away from it. Because it'll be the sign of love. It'll be a sign of the everlasting Father who loved you with an unconditional love, who met your needs along the way, forgave your sin, who provided you protection and security, and yes, disciplined you along the way but I want to make sure that you don't misunderstand this Christmas that the privilege of being able to call on God as father is not automatic it is not the default setting of every human being that's born in fact it's quite the opposite our default setting is is to be separated from God Jesus put it real succinctly I am the way the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Paul, in writing to the Galatians, said, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. We spent a lot of time honing in on this last week, but let me just make sure this Christmas season you understand. As we talk about God's perfect Christmas gift, it's a gift that becomes real in our lives, not by our performance, not by attending a service, but by opening up our life to Jesus Christ, a calling out to him and say, I have sinned. I've gone my way instead of your way. And I turn from a self-directed life and surrender to you as not only the rescuer and savior of my life, but the rightful leader and Lord. And our hope and prayer as we gather in this Christmas season is that as we gather, there'd be a child, there'd be a student, there'd be an adult, that in these moments on a Sunday morning would be a divine moment, a divine appointment when God draws you to himself with his loving kindness. And that today is the day 
that you get to experience Jesus as your everlasting Father. We want to help you with that. We're going to be available after the close of our service in that next steps area. We would love to talk to you more about how Jesus can become that everlasting Father to you through faith in Him. Let's bow our heads together as we pray to Him, please. Father, in these moments, we thank you. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your your mercy. We thank you for the perfect gift of Jesus Christ who did for us what we could not do for ourselves. The one who has come to provide so much for us. And Father, today we come and, and we don't take that for granted. And so, Lord, we just pray. And Lord, I pray asking, knowing that there may be some in this room right here, right now, that today is the day for them to unwrap this greatest gift of all. Today is the day for them to respond in, in repentance and faith and trust in you. And Lord, today, would you just, even in these moments, draw them to you. Father, I pray for those that name the name of Jesus Christ right here, right now. Lord, there, there are times we, we drift away from, from that rock-solid foundation of who you are and what you have provided for us. There are some of us today that, that just need to return, just need to be reminded of who you are and what you have done. And Father, we just ask in these last few moments that we have gathered together, would you just help us, Father? Help us to see you anew and afresh as our everlasting Father. Would you help us to, to, to live for you, to call upon you, to find our, our security in your love for us? Father, would you help us to live as a child of an everlasting Father? And I'm just going to ask you to take just a couple more moments right here and right now.